25 minutes to 9 o'clock. You're listening to Tonight with me, Lester Kivit. Now, I've been really enjoying reading, listening to podcasts, watching television coverage of what is now no longer just a United States-based protest. It is a global protest in Europe. In Belgium, in the UK, in Germany, we're seeing Black Lives Matter protests. In South Africa, we are seeing not only people showing their solidarity with the family of George Floyd, Americans, black African Americans, people of color in the United States showing solidarity, but also raising concerns at police violence here in South Africa and particularly poor black men dying at the hands of police in this country also including the uh, death in a police cell of uh, Robin Mutsumi who was a a, a sex worker who was found uh, dead in a Mowbray police cell uh, in April lots of concerns about the the value of the black body and in response to that in retaliation to that we are seeing people targeting statues places of remembrance places of honoring of certain individuals whose hands are bloodied through the course of history i'm be looking at in in bristol the statue of Edward Colson, who was a, uh, a slave runner. He ran a company who was integral part of the transatlantic slave trade. Protesters removed that statue and chucked it in the river. I see in Belgium the statue of King Leopold being removed after it was defaced and now for safekeeping or for whatever reason, authorities there have decided to remove that statue uh, in Virginia. The statue of Robert E. Lee, it's now the subject of a court case. The governor says it's probably time we should be removing that statue of Robert E. Lee, the leader of the Confederate South. Apparently, a court there in that state said, uh, we're putting that on ice for now. And it got me wondering, why don't we have these ongoing conversations in South Africa? Looking at Louis Boerta, General Louis Boerta, on the steps of, of the South African Parliament in Plain Street. Queen Victoria is on the grounds of Parliament. Jan van Riebeek and Maria is in Adley Street. Jan Smuts is on the corner of Whale and, uh, and, and Adley Street. Prominent places in our public open spaces. And we've been here before. Roads must fall, fees must fall. It started here in Cape Town, but it seems to have withered. And we ask the question, where are these protests and where are these movements now? Professor Adam Halp is a professor in the Department of, U- of, of Media Studies at UCT and also Dr. Dwayne Jethro. He is an anthro- he's, uh, at the Center of Anthropological Research and Museums uh, out at Utrecht University. Gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for inviting us. Always good to be talking to you, Lester. Uh, Adam, I'm going to start with you. We saw this since 2016, fees a roads must fall movement. It started uh, about the the prominent place that Cecil John Rhodes held at UCT at the st- at the foot of Jamie at uh, Jamie Steps and Jamie Plaza. Eventually, that statue was removed. There was now plans to start looking at other places of memory in the in the city. But why is it fizzled? Why have we left it at Cecil John Rhodes at UCT? Why haven't we targeted? 
Jan van Riebeck and Maria in, in, uh, in Adley Street or General Louis Boeta in Plain Street? Why have we somewhat forgotten about that? That's a good question. Um, trust me, I know that Rhodes Must Fall activists at the time that um, the campaign was launched. I know that students and staff were debating the very question. Um, I think there is consensus amongst left-leaning uh, individuals in the country that all colonial statues should should go. You know, uh, the argument, the counter-argument has been that, oh, but you're erasing history, history. History is for the history books. Mm. A monument is about celebrating a historical figure and pushing, putting forward a very particular view of history. And we know that those colonial figures were instrumental in, in, in genocide, in the dispossession of, of people, of their bodies, enslavement, uh, of people from, from the land, or from resources. Um, and so we shouldn't be celebrating them um, if you want to put it in a museum with a narrative, right, that, that positions the historical significance, uh, by all means do that, but, but do not celebrate them. Those uh, statues are not automatically, um, you know, uh, a sort of neutral, um, you know, zero rated, if you want to put it that way. It does, doesn't mean, it's not neutral, it doesn't mean anything. Doesn't mean nothing. It is ideological. It serves a very particular view of history, which silences, which excludes black people unfairly. Uh, Dwayne, you you tweeted over over the last weekend about protests in uh, uh, in in Berlin. We're seeing a, a a a young Europe emerging, a young Europe that is reckoning with it, it with its colonial forefathers and and what. Those countries have benefited from the plundering of, of, of countries in, 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 in Africa and Asia. And of course, we can include, um, uh, Australasia as well. What are you seeing there of particularly young people joining and reckoning with these Black Lives Matter movements and also, uh, in, in the way those countries remember the colonial era forefathers? Uh, thank you, Lester, and uh, good evening to your listeners also. Um, here in Berlin, Germany, uh, uh, in and around the Hamburg University where I work, um, there's a vibrant and lively um, activist scene around the contestation of um, colonial memory in particular. Um, this is against a, a kind of mainstream backlash within uh, German society that uh, often forgets um, about the German colonial past. So uh, the German colonial presence in Namibia, as well as in East Africa and other parts of the world as well. Uh, in particular, um, we've seen uh, activism around the changing of street names that commemorate figures of and for and to the German colonial past. Just in, in, in Berlin, there's a, there's a whole suburb um, that's that's known as the Afrikanisches Viertel, these streets all have names of uh, names that are dedicated to sites in Africa that are um, that were part of the German uh, colonial mm-hmm. empire or the German colonial imagination, as well as the historical figures, the roads-like figures that we know mm-hmm. um, that were involved in that um, part. So activists have been uh, trying to change these street names, which is which has been really significant. Um, it's important to note that activism in uh, Germany and in Berlin in particular has been 
long-standing, at least three decades since um, uh, the end of the Cold War, uh, Afro-German activists have been advocating for uh, recognition as, as full German citizens. Um, even though they do uh, possess the, uh, uh, the German passports, they're not fully recognized as, as fully belonging. So uh, activism has very much been about um, a recognition of, of, uh, of, of belonging and inclusion on the basis of uh, disputes around race, and then also pointing out these signs and symbols in, in, in public that um, commemorate these problematic histories. So, yeah, there's, a, there's, there's an ongoing struggle here in Berlin, Germany, that's slowly starting to gain um, international recognition, as well as uh, recognition in uh, Germany itself. You, you, you're the man who deals with, 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 with museums and 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 places of of memory. Just how important is that to the average worker, to the average man and woman on the street who is concentrating on putting food on the table? What does it mean for them to have an accurate depiction of the role of their country, the role of? the founder of their country, a prominent person, or the statue that stands in the middle of the town square. What does that actually mean for them, if at all? So um, commemorative forms form and play a very important role in um, validating uh, your belonging to a particular group or community. So, for example, the images that you see in the statues that uh, fill the public spaces that you move through on your way to work and in everyday life, sometimes you forget about them. They, uh, in the technical term for this is uh, they are innocuous. They become invisible because you see them so often. But it's highly significant that they um, do resonate with you because they allow you to feel included in a wider body of people that you may not necessarily be able to see. Mm. So this can be your, your local provincial community, um, but it can also be a wider community like the nation. Okay. So, for example, the statues that you highlighted, um, Louis Porta, uh, Queen Victoria, Jan van Riebeek, etc., these statues, um, they form part of a symbolic ideology that speak to a past that uh, does not exist anymore, and a kind of um, imaginary that was meant to exclude a certain body of people. So these symbols have functioned to include and exclude people. Um, I cannot speak to the psychology of how and in what ways the, the statues actually resonate with people down, uh, down on the ground, but I can speak to um, how um, painful and difficult it must be for many people when uh, they have to navigate and negotiate uh, public spaces, um, where uh, statues and material cultural forms represent a past that is uh, antithetical, uh, opposed to them. It's, it's, when we, it's when we talk about were, sorry. It's when we talk about representativity matters. When I see a name that sounds like mine, when I see a face that could resonate with me in a family member or someone that I know, that has that has currency. And if we don't have those those spaces, those names, those figures of memory then it makes me almost feel worthless. It feels not, I feel nothing. Absolutely. That's a, that's a very valid interpretation. And, and one of the, that, was, that was precisely one of the reasons why the Rose Cross mm-hmm. 4 movement kicked off at the University of Cape Town. Because um, the, the statue of Cecil Rhodes 
function so effectively to alienate and, ex- uh, and exclude a student to, to create a sense mm. of being excluded. Uh, Adam, I want, I want to, we, we, we're running out of time, but Adam, I want to, I want to bring you into the, the conversation. Well, there, there could be the argument that the, the purposeful forgetfulness of retaining statues and planes and parks and spaces and squares named, even road names named after certain people has been part of the project of reconciliation, the project of negotiated settlement that we will leave things be out of for, for the purpose of simply just moving on. Is it time to look? to relook at that contract that social contract that we've made with uh, with linkages of a previous dispensation saying we're going to leave you be for now let's just get on with our democratic project yes look um 1993 right we didn't actually know that we we're going to get to a democratic election we were in a state of civil war uh, the compromises that the ANC that the left made at that time uh, you know, those compromises, compromises were made under, under pressure. Uh, there were key moments, who can forget Boy Fatong, for example. Uh, a number of massacres, a number of things had happened. Um, the third force, we you know who the third force was. The Nats were, were, were involved in a dirty war. They were not staying with a, with a full deck. And so we could have been tumulted into, in, into an extended civil war in the 90s if certain compromises hadn't been made. When those compromises were made, especially when it came to symbols, names, memorials, statues, etc., etc., the understanding was that those symbolic sort of compromises would be parked for now because we're becoming a democracy. We're going to have a democratic constitution. But in actual fact, we adopted, we made compromises that were beyond just symbolic. We made macroeconomic compromises. We adopted neoliberal economics that ensured that racialized privilege, that white privilege, is protected by economic policy, right? And so in the absence of distributive justice, in the absence of restorative justice, uh, you have to ask yourself, well, it's been over two decades, we still don't have an economic system, a policy, uh, you know, a policy mechanism that ensures that the wealth that the country generates, and it does have wealth, that the wealth is distributed fairly, that you have state intervention at the level of the market to ensure that the market distributes the wealth equally. And so now on top of that, you have a situation where, um, you know, schools, um, statues, all sorts of places where white, you know, white supremacy is in action. If you go to a school, a well-off school, like a private school or an, an SGB, a former Model C school, you still see linguistic imperialism in action. You're still being told you need to speak English, you need to perform a particular idea of civility. Of, of civilization, of intelligence, all of these things are linked to, 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 to notions of whiteness, to linguistic imperialism. It's salt on a wound. We're still being told that being black is not good enough and that it's being forced by the fact that the people who held economic power under apartheid continue to hold power to this day, right? But the, so, people who hold, but the people who hold political power to change that, the people who hold political power to change a financial system and, and, and a financial policy, the people who hold political power to change the name of a square, a street, and remove a statue are in power, but they don't do it. Why not? Exactly. The same people who are in a position to change street names, 
change Clara Renee and Seymour's statues are the same people who can change our macroeconomic policy to make it more just, to ensure that we place people before profits. And there's no time like a crisis. This crisis is fantastic to capitalists. You know, any crisis is, 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 is an opportunity for venture capitalists. They will make a ton of money. But at the same time, this historically left-leading government can use this crisis to come up with healthcare interventions, education interventions, public safety interventions that actually favor the dispossessed majority of this country. And so we should push them, we should pressurize them to actually act in the hands of the majority, not just of an elite minority. Mm. They have the power. We should be asking them this question. You have this opportunity. Why aren't you doing something about it? If you say you're in power, why don't you in act that power and make it mean something. Dwayne, just how important then is the the policy around the education system at the moment? I don't know if you saw, you, you, you're currently based in, in Germany. Over the last few days, there's been a furor here in Cape Town with um, Parklands College uh, issuing what the teacher underlined as a fun activity. The children were supposed to make slave auction posters. Um, it was not for credit. The best poster would have won a slab of chocolate. The, the school had apologized saying that the, the teacher had been misguided and, and had apologized. But when we look at these sort of almost microaggressions of how we almost trivialize the, the, the direct history of particularly this city where I'm standing in at the moment. And it's, it draws from the fact that we don't have a proper slave memorial here in Cape Town. Yes, there's a slave lodge, which in all intents and purposes is a good space. But beyond that, there's very little to tell people who look and sound and have experiences like me that we are born, not only Cape Town, but South Africa is born from a violent, evil slavery history. Um, thanks, Lisa. These are these are highly valid points, and I, I do not know the case of the of of the exercise that um, the school kids were meant to go through. Um, that is a very very bitter um, lesson for those kids to go. That would be my opinion on, on that particular lesson. But it's also indicative of um, the kind of psychology that was that was uh, produced by the kind of reconciliation and nation-building narrative that, that Adam was speaking to. Um, it's a kind of psychology that um, suggests that uh, everything that, that had been put aside in 1994 was now put aside. And, and in moral terms, we can grow together um, different ways of thinking about the past, that there, that there are no winners and losers. Um, that that the past has been put behind us, and it leads to all kinds of um, highly problematic projects that are uh, good on intentions, but ultimately more hurtful and more painful in their outcomes. I think uh, one of the more spectacular examples of this was the uh, spectacle sculpture by the artist Michael Elian who um, set up a pair of spectacles on the Seapoint Promenade, and that was sponsored by a sunglass, leading sunglass manufacturer, and that also caused the photo. And it was supposed to be in remembrance of Nelson Mandela on, 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 exactly. on Robben Island. 
Yeah, precisely. And so it was imbued with lots of good intentions. It, it was uh, dedicated to Nelson Mandela's struggle for freedom. Yet at the same time, it was sponsored by a leading um, international mm. eyewear company. So, I'm Sorry, I seem to have lost Dwayne there. But, but Adam, why aren't we seeing, and, and, and should we be almost urging people to, to make their voices heard. We, we're seeing a spontaneous protest in, in Bristol where the statue of Edward Colston was ripped out of its, out of its, um, uh, its fixtures and, and dumped in the, the, uh, the river. Why aren't we seeing, why aren't we seeing young people doing that in South Africa? Why aren't, why aren't we seeing that, 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 that spontaneous energy? Well, we did with Lawrence Must Fall and then subsequently Fears Must Fall. Many people uh, condemned the actions of, of student activists as vandalism. Uh, they were called bullies, uh, erasing history, um, threatening academic freedom. They retorted and said, your claims about academic freedom are really just a cover for your racism. You need to decolonize. You know, you know, there are different waves where, where people do things. Mm. Um, why is it not happening now on, on, on such a scale? I, I can't tell you. Mm. I, I do know that a lot of people were involved in the activism, a lot of students of 2015, 16, and 17, you know, that, that period, they're exhausted. They, um, they got burned in all sorts of ways. Mm. Um, and so it would be interesting to see where this moment goes, where it takes off to, to, to that extent. I do actually explore this, this question, um, to, to a, sh- a shameless, uh, plug quickly for, for an article I wrote for Mailing Guardian that'll hopefully be out this week, the forthcoming Mailing Guardian. I'll ask these questions uh, about the disparity of responses. Uh, there did seem to be a great deal of, 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 outrage at the death of, of, of George Floyd, quite rightly so. But we didn't see the same kind of response with the death of Collins Causa, for example, you know, or Petrus Michels. Uh, what is going on? Why are people more concerned about what's happening in the States? Well, well, we well as, as you know, as, 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 a, as a media studies professor, you know that the U.S. is a net exporter of culture. South Africa mm-hmm. is a net importer of, mm-hmm. of, of, of particularly American culture. Mm-hmm. That could be seen as a, as a major reason, but it doesn't mean yeah. that we cannot use that energy, we cannot use that import of, of outrage exactly. to start exactly. something. Yeah. At the same time, protesting at, at arm's length is a safety mechanism. Knowing mm-hmm. I can put a a, 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 a a status up here about the US makes me safer than the repercussions that I may face by doing it here with our local government or our local authorities or my local university. Absolutely. I know a, a school tweeted a, a message of solidarity um, and former students responded to that tweet with, with, with um, criticisms of that school's own racism, you know, and, uh, and I think one of the messages that came through is, yeah, you know, black might matter to you at a distance, but, you know, at your own school, you treated us horribly because we were black, you know. Um, so I think there are lots of contradictions um, on, on the ground. It's very, very easy to, 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 to engage this at a distance through, you know, the daily show or, you know, whatever news, you know, uh, or, you know, comedian, um, you know, might, might be narrativizing this. Um, it's a form of entertainment. Yeah. But I think that distancing is, is, is an issue. But I also think we've internalized a lot about what is valuable, you know, to black lives on the ground matter to us. 
Mm. Are we so divided? Do we see our struggles, various black struggles? Do we see them as part of a bigger story? And the answer is no. Many of us internalize Ferruvian thinking about black, colored, Indian, Asian, mm. all of these things that divide us. We don't see all of those, those struggles of various peoples of color as being part of a coordinated campaign of white supremacy around the world. Professor Adam Haupti is a professor at UCT.